Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast powered by First National. I'm Aaron Cameron. With me, of course, Adam Pawatic. We're sitting here recording live at the Southwestern Ontario Real Estate Forum. Our guest today is a gentleman by the name of Mitch Blaine, the Executive Vice President at JLL. How's it going? Real good. I got to be honest. This is the second time we've sat down to record an episode with Mitch. Last time we were sitting in our offices in Toronto about a week ago, in which Mitch very generously donated his time to drive all the way down to record the podcast. He said he had other things to do in Toronto, but I believe he probably just drove down just for the podcast. Just being polite for you. We (laughs) literally plugged it in, turned it on, put the headsets on, and then there was no sound. And so he said, thanks for coming all this way, Mitch. Have a great drive home in the traffic. Talk to you later. He's a gentleman about it. Full point for being a gentleman. But that's the first time that's ever really happened to us. And so thank you for being a gentleman about it. And I got to be honest, we're throwing ourselves under the bus, but we really appreciate you being so easy and now coming back on, getting the opportunity. So, Well, yeah, as luck would have it, a week later, we were heading this direction for the conference. So that worked out beautifully. It was meant to be, gentlemen. It was meant to be. came to you. That's it. So Mitch, we like to start the conversation with just some background, right? Getting a sense of who you are, how you got into the industry. So tell us your story about commercial real estate. Yeah, dare I say it, I was born and raised in Southwestern Ontario region, born in Kitchener and went to school at Laurier, did a quick stint at an insurance company in Mississauga and no offense to the folks from the GTA, I hated (laughs) it. And so after about two years, came back and got into brokerage and 18, 20 years later, here we are and have just grown with what is a pretty incredible dynamic market and Kitchener in Southwestern Ontario. And not a bad time to plant your flag in Southwest Ontario. It's been a pretty decent uh, ride up. No, we've had a great run. I mean, it's not been without its challenges. You know, let's not forget we were the home of Blackberry. You know, once upon a time, we had Schneider's Foods. We made a lot of hot dogs here. And it's gone through a lot of different iterations, ups and downs, but it's always come out on top in the end. So, Would uh, Nortel have had offices here at some point? No, sir. No? Okay. No, sir. Okay. Blackberry was enough for us. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What year did you graduate, Laurier? Would have been 2003. Okay, we were there at the same time. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wish I said I was yeah, yeah. there all the time. Yeah. No, 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 yeah, sure. no, no. And so you're at JLL now, but how'd you end up here? So was at another brokerage there for about 18 years, and we were fortunate enough to come to a place where our team had grown to a scale where we were somewhat of a business inside of a business and JLL with its global platform, for whatever reason, was not in the Southwestern Ontario region. And timing as it has, we were able to help create the brand in this market and now grow with it. We've been in Kitchener for two years. We just opened our brand new offices in the glove box. It's a king set property. And very thankful for all the support from JLL because now it's been a a great ride so far for two years and many more great ones to come. How nice is the office? And I only ask that because brokerages tend to have really nice offices because they're engaged in the office market. Really nice. You know what? It's been a fascinating experience. We hypothesize on the return to office. We've been living through it and having moved and really kind of founded JLL in Southwestern Ontario in the heat of the pandemic. We were quasi-homeless for a little bit. We spent a fair bit of time in co-working, which was a great experience. Learned a lot about the co-working environment, but very thankful that we've now found our permanent home. And it really created a real opportunity for the team to rally and have something excited for, you know, also welcoming clients. And at a time, I mean, we're here at the Southwestern Ontario Real Estate Forum to have clients to come to the office that's our own and our own space. It's been a great ride, especially with a new office. Moving to JLL, international, institutional, brand name, 
you're a local guy. It's a local industry. Was that a challenge for you to all of a sudden represent now this sort of national brand, international brand in a sort of a small local market? We've always kind of fancied ourselves as a bit of an outpost for our institutional clients that are based in the US or based in Toronto. So we've always had a high connectivity with Toronto, I would say. And so the move into JLL was fairly natural and it's been a really smooth process. It's really just built upon the foundations that we created 18 years ago. I remember my first sales manager Peter Hall, shout out to Peter Hall, had really been an advocate for folks in the secondary markets to visit Toronto on a weekly basis, right? Just be present because the growth will eventually come. And so it was always ingrained in us to be in Toronto, be active. And so I'd never felt like when we established JLL here or even through all of the previous years that it was foreign or this was a new entrant. It was just a continuation of something that's been evolving for 20 years. And I think even looking at this Southwestern Ontario Real Estate Forum, this is not necessarily an overnight success. This is something that has been in the works for many decades. You know, it's accelerated, no doubt, through a pandemic where you saw a lot of dispersion of the population. Obviously, there's been a lot of people looking for affordability, still looking for lifestyle, not wanting to go too far from Toronto. So no doubt, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, Brantford, these areas have really had a boost from the pandemic, but it's the seeds that were sown many years ago that have allowed it to really kind of accelerate, especially in the last couple of years. When you moved into the new office space, how much of it was allocated for growth? And I use that as a benchmark for how ambitious you think that this is going to be over the next couple of years. We'll use that as a proxy for growth. Because you know, every time you sign a new lease, you got to think uh, 10, 15 years in the future. It was tricky. I mean, it's again... It's one thing as a broker to theorize on how the return to office looks and how do you grow. And when you're actually living it yourself, it was a real hands-on experience and no doubt room for growth. I mean, the market right now has obviously got some headwinds with interest rates. We currently are sitting at about 12 permanent people and, and most of us do come to the office every day. We have room to grow and if not close to double that amount of space. I would say though, when you look at the space a huge amount of it is towards collaboration, pardon me, collaboration areas, right? So meeting room, huddle rooms, we even have a couch room, right? Which is very kind of homey feeling. So the room for growth is there and just trying to create that environment where people will come and work together. I wonder how many long it takes for that couch room to turn into just a bunch of cubicles. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's it, it, that's, that's exactly it. So if you start pulling out a bunch of the, the huddle rooms, no doubt you got room for yeah. desks. Yeah. 100%, that happens. 100%. Let's just segue then. 10 years ago, so it's 2023 now, 2013, what was the office market like in the region? It was interesting. I mean, I'd even rewind a little bit further. Sure. 2008, 2009 hit. The manufacturing sector in North America was hit pretty hard negatively. We were fortunate enough in 2010, 2012, 2013, to your point, to have BlackBerry. And BlackBerry really was a result of the University of Waterloo and its computer engineering programs. It allowed our area to adapt, reinvent, if you will. We were taking those vacant industrial buildings that used to be stamping plants and turning them into BlackBerry manufacturing facilities or office buildings. And so at a time where a lot of the world was really struggling with the 0809 financial crisis, we were reinventing. And it was largely because of the University of Waterloo, which created BlackBerry. It's you know, we've got four global ranked post-secondary institutions here with 
University of Waterloo, Laurier, University of Guelph, and Conestoga College, which has been a massive driver of growth and uh, investment in the region. And so the office market really accelerated through 0809 into 2015. BlackBerry obviously had its challenges and had to go through a level of reinvention as many tech companies do once they hit a certain scale. It's kind of one of those things though, right? When you bump your head and you learn a lesson, you don't do it again and you come back better. BlackBerry's pivot change really created an opportunity for those folks, the talent that was in that company to redisperse, create new companies. It actually diversified our local economy greatly. And this is where, and I think you've had some others on talk about Google and their expansion and really opened up the market from just being a one-trick pony of BlackBerry to a really diverse tech environment. And when you mix that hardware element, we'll talk about this a bit, I'm sure, with the industrial, BlackBerry made Blackberries. It wasn't just an office occupier. It wasn't just an office tenant. They actually made it. It was a manufacturing company as well as had data centers in Waterloo. So it created this real opportunity when it pivoted and downsized to create new opportunities for tenants. So we saw a real acceleration. I mean, we're here in downtown Kitchener. You don't have to look far. Didn't look anything like this 15, 20 years ago. It really has accelerated. Now, granted, what we're going through right now with the return to office is another test. And our thesis is that there will be repurposing of certain office assets, right? I mean, we have large population growth. We've got affordability. We do see a number of, call it C-class type office assets that will likely get repurposed or candidly demolished and put into something that's of higher value, higher use, like condos, apartment buildings, and in some cases, even industrial buildings. What's the, the new supply look like over that sort of 10, 15-year period? Obviously, for BlackBerry, there was a bump in supply, often being purpose-built for BlackBerry. Then it kind of slowed right down. It feels like in the last couple of years, there was a bunch of new stuff that came on right before, like just bad timing. Yeah, when was the slowdown? When did BlackBerry's problems start? I know time gets blurry. When was it no longer the business model to get an appropriate site and then call the only tenant in town to... <laughs> 2015, 2016, if I recall, don't hold me on that timing, was roughly when you started to see that pivot. I mean, we were involved with a lot of the dispositions, sale leasebacks, multiple times up by the University of Waterloo. And there was a time where no one would look at touching these assets that were literally beside the University of Waterloo, which is, in our opinion, the largest institution and economic driver in our region. And you look back on it now and you go, geez, should have bought more office <laughs> sites. What You mentioned the point though about when did we really see a ramp up of new buildings? BlackBerry grew so fast that they acquired space that was even white boxed old industrial buildings simply because they needed to accommodate the growth very quickly. I would argue we saw the new product start coming after BlackBerry's Gone. big surge. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. BlackBerry built a beautiful new campus. Like They had their moment of development. But I would argue that where we really started to see the acceleration of new supply, new development, like with Google, like with others, and even on a speculative basis, I mean, their first spec office building in downtown Kitchener was built by Perimeter, and it was in post-BlackBerry era. It is what it is. The story is what it is. We have a pandemic hit, and now we're having to work through that. But what we, again, theorize is you've got this spectacular office space that is available. A lot of it's turnkeyed or going to be turnkeyed. And we do think that some of that redundant, the office space that is probably not going to lease in comparison to the brand new stuff will likely get repurposed. And we're seeing a lot of activity on that. I mean, being here at the forum, you hear of a lot of folks acquiring dated office assets for the purpose of demolition. Less repurposing. I want to be 
careful. We're not seeing a lot of that conversion, more so capitalizing on development charge credits as a result of demolition. I mean, I appreciate there's sort of a almost a decline in office space available, but there's still a ton of office availability right now. What's the vacancy right now? Do you know off the top of your head? That is a very tough question to answer yeah. with one number. I mean, overall, it's floating around 17%. Right. Okay. So I, I was going to say 15 to 20-ish sublet, plus minus sublet. Right? Certain parts of the community. If you ask yourself, why does a tenant come to a place like Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge in particular, they're looking for affordability. They're looking for parking. They're looking for quality. Certain parts of the market, even up by the University of Waterloo, are actually very low vacancy. Other parts are a bit more challenged because they may not offer some of the amenities or some of the, the parking. In particular. So there's a new downtown office built by Perimeter, right? And they've got Galling, so a law firm. That's their main tenant, I think 50,000 feet. I don't know how much more there is in that building. Maybe you do. But I also, this is another third conversation we've had about office in KW in particular, but no one's mentioned Manulife. Which, I don't know, that's just a standalone building and they kind of do their own thing and no one, do they own that building, I'm assuming? so They do. Let's not forget about Sun Life as well, right? We used to be a huge center for insurance in this region. That's where my brain was going is, yeah, okay, you got UW and it pumping out a whole bunch of tech businesses. But tech businesses aren't, I mean, maybe they are the end occupier of a lot of this office space, but they don't necessarily have to be. You hear about tech not needing office space and they're going to this full-on remote working yeah, world. Remote yeah, remote working world. And I mean, the jury is out whether that actually works or not. I hear stories about, you know, Shopify. Shopify, thank you. <laughs> Shopify getting rid of thousands and hundreds of thousands or tens of leads, tens of thousands of square feet. And then now all of a sudden going, mm, maybe we don't want people working from their basements because they can't collaborate and talk to each other. So I think it's really, it's an interesting dilemma to know what the demand is going to be in the two or three years. Well, and I would just, I mean, whether it's office or industrial, diversity is clearly something this region has always kind of preserved and promoted. And it's allowed us to adapt, reinvent, if you look at insurance companies, and, and yeah, no doubt, I mean, we all know in the tech boom, they absorbed a huge amount of office space, but very thankful. Again, in this region, we're not that one trick pony. If you look at some of the markets, like, sorry to my friends in Alberta, right? When the oil was booming, and if that goes away, there's a problem. We've always maintained a high level of diversity in our local economy. We've always maintained a level of pricing relative value to Toronto. So to me, there are the alternatives there, which is maybe where you're going with that. And again, I mean, no doubt the finance companies are pushing to a level of return to office, some more conservative than others. You know, I firmly believe that human behavior, millions of years of evolution or whatever, people want to be together at some point. Now, maybe they want to go home, maybe they want to go travel for two weeks and then come back. But I do believe there's a place for people to be together in person like we're doing at a conference right now. Why are we doing this? Because people do need to feel in-person contact. Well, the pandemic is over. Well, and, and the <laughs> pandemic is well over. And in fact, if it's taught us anything, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If we starve people of being together, all they want to do is to be together. If they don't get to travel, then all they want to do <laughs> is travel. If they don't eat out, all they want to do is eat out. So the jury's out and time will tell, but we just to be in a case study ourselves of opening our new office here in Kitchener. You see not the forced, hey, mandate of come to the office. People want to come to the office, right? Now you got to create an environment that they want to come to. I firmly believe it's not just the space, it's the people you're with. And that's where corporate culture is really, really, really important because you could have the most beautiful office like many real estate companies do and have a bunch of people you can't stand to be around. That's you're not going to have people come back. So 
But that's on company leadership to really kind of hone that. And that's actually a positive come out of it is that's top of the list now for thinking for leaders in the space is getting people into the office rather than just you sign an employment contract, you show up, creating a workspace people want to be in. I think it's a very positive change if you want to look at COVID as a positive. I'm going to call a little bit of an audible. We will get to industrial and just some of the challenges because that's another expertise of yours. Can we just talk about just the city in general and the city's willingness to help put the infrastructure needed? Because you were just talking about wanting to come back to the office and my brain immediately goes to, yeah, if you're not commuting for an hour and a half a day, which unfortunately many people in the Toronto region are. I was mentioning on an earlier recording that there's an individual that I know that works downtown Toronto that lives in KW, right? And he's down there two, three days a week. Now, if it was forced to be four or five days a week, I just I suspect that his decisions would change, but he's made that decision comfortably and is happy with it. In KW, you've got a whole bunch of new public transportation, plus it's 50-minute drive kind of everywhere you go. I mean, that's sort of a quality of living. Is that helpful? And what do you think the cities are they, and this is maybe where I'm really going with this, are they purposeful in their planning? Are they reactionary? Are they pro-development? Or do they appreciate the opportunity that they have that there is all of this sort of real estate capital looking at the southwestern Ontario region? If they just behave accordingly, that they have an opportunity to just incredible rewards for their city and their community? Well, it's like, what's that saying about luck? It's when preparation and opportunity meet, right? Like, no doubt, all of that investment, we've got the light rail transit system, which was somewhat contemplated, you know, called 10, maybe even 15 years ago. Well, I remember going to school here with the BlackBerry sort of system up there and it being announced that it was going to come. It was going to drop people off at the offices of BlackBerry and then come down to the Kitchener core because that's, that's right. where you would want to live. That's right. And that was 2006, basically. Right, right. That's almost 20 years ago, right? And so, you know, I mean, the region's always been an area that the province and the federal government have seen as a growth center. I mean, it's public some of these investments in LRT and highway connectivity, go connectivity with Toronto, right? All very important investments that were made long before a pandemic. I think we were just, and this is not to be insensitive, I think we were very fortunate having a pandemic because not only did it really kind of open up what these investments were meant to do, it accelerated them. And I think it also made people realize the importance of quality of life and lifestyle and imbalance. And I'm not sure we can pivot back from that quickly. And so I think even though things are changing and interest rates and all that, you can find every bit of negativity you want in the world. I think that this region still has a lot of positive growth to come. And I think, again, it was accelerated by a pandemic and we were just ready for it. And so now the story will play out over the next many years. Let's jump into how that impacts industrial then. Industrial has obviously been a, a fantastic ride for a number of years, but how did it play out specifically here? You know, what kind of the tenant types you're attracting? What are the big drivers of industrial value like, specific to these markets? Yeah, I mean, again, changing what feels like daily. So industrial, as I said, we knocked down a heck of a lot of industrial buildings, really good industrial buildings. Looking back in the BlackBerry heydays, I mean, we knocked down a lot of industrial buildings that we would be starving for right now and pulled a lot out of the inventory. It's probably no surprise through a pandemic, e-commerce was pretty popular. We had a situation where land values and lease rates on industrial space in Toronto went up very, very quickly. We had a dense population in Toronto. They need to be serviced with e-commerce. And so rents jumped quickly in Toronto. Next came Kitchener and Cambridge. Then Brantford Hamilton started really to boom. We are seeing, like I said, about the office sector and tenants too. 
we're starting to see a diversification in the tenants that are active in the market. I mean, there was the recent announcement there about Volkswagen in St. Thomas with their large multi-billion dollar EV plant. Uh, how large is that facility? Do you know roughly? I believe it was a $30 billion investment, $10 billion coming from the government, which, you know, you need to make those investments as a government to attract them to compete, right? I mean, that's not just competing with Cambridge versus Mississauga. That's Canada competing with Europe, competing with the US and different states. So that kind of investment, no doubt, will have a huge amount of knock-on effects. We we saw it twice now in the last 30 years. I lived through it with two very large Toyota plant, assembly plant investments in Cambridge and Woodstock. And, you know, they're very sticky in the way that they have spin-off economic benefits for the region, right? Whether it's, you know, bringing labor in to help work in these facilities, the suppliers that come as a result of it, the amenities that come as a result. So very important investments. And maybe that's kind of along the line of, we've gone from a pandemic dynamic and industrial of all warehousing, very quick to set up, right? If you do think about a fairly simplified warehouse with racking, and and that takes time to set up, let alone being able to find the space. If you're trying to set up a manufacturing plant, that takes years. In fact, I've heard that the EV plant in St. Thomas The battery plant will likely take about five years to put it all together and build it. Setting up a warehouse for online distribution, much, much quicker, especially in a pandemic where we need to get goods into people's houses quickly. So I'm very thankful for that diversification. E-commerce is still very much alive and well. It's still a very small chunk relative to what overall retail sales are. I'm very thankful though that we're also layering in some diversity into the manufacturing sector. The, The manufacturing sector has got its own rabbit holes we can go down as well. And just, I come back to the BlackBerry thing. BlackBerry was a huge, like a pandemic. It somewhat catapulted the region forward with investment. And you're talking about really high-tech manufacturing as a result of that investment by BlackBerry. And that will get redeployed in new businesses, existing businesses. And that's really where our politicians, our communities are really hanging their hat is it's, look, we're not the cheap manufacturing option. If you want that, you have places like Mexico, overseas. What we are is we're the high quality, high value goods manufacturing sector. And so again, very thankful for BlackBerry's investment because we're starting to see that manufacturing element spill over even today into industrial, right? We've got a number of very, very large automation companies. They make the machines that go in factories and they are absolutely booming, especially at a time with a really tight labor market. There is a place for automation. There's a place for robots. And again, it's all because of that DNA from BlackBerry. And again, you kind of go back up the creek here. You see that the University of Waterloo plays a the massive part. part. So the diversification, obviously, the higher education that spits out all sorts of great ideas that ultimately trickle down into the impacts of real estate. In your particular space, being, as you indicated, the avenue for capital to come into this region, are you taking a lot more inbound calls than making outbound calls these days? And what does that look like? And who is it, if you can tell us? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we're sitting at a real estate forum in Kitchener. Never would have imagined this 10 years ago. The interest from Toronto-based investment, even global. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, you fellas probably know about some of the challenges in foreign investment in certain residential sectors. There's really no limitation on commercial. So, you know, we're even seeing a fair bit of foreign equity that's looking at the region just because of its relative cost compared to Toronto, right? Toronto, Toronto is really the benchmark. And as long as we price relatively off of it, we're going to get a lot of looks from folks in Toronto or abroad. We have a lot of opportunities to interview 
really large sort of national, international institutions and some of the main decision makers there. And regularly, we go, what's your investment thesis? And they kind of go, well, it's Toronto, Vancouver, maybe Montreal, right? And that's it. And then every once in a while, they might go, well, it's, it's VATCOM, right? Where it's the Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, maybe Halifax. Are you starting to find people going, and maybe KW? Like that's starting to come into their prism of, again, back to just the fundamentals. Those major urban centers have enough diversity in their economy, strengthen their underlying fundamentals that it's it's kind of a no-brainer. If I'm going to buy real estate, I got to make sure that the fundamentals are there and is KW there yet? I mean, be honest. I know you want to say yes. I'm not, I'm, I, I want to say yes, but I'm not sure you ever realize where you are. I don't think you can ever say we've made it. And I just, I would argue though, that the region of Southwest Ontario, Kitchener and Waterloo region in particular, they are their own entity in a sense. They're not necessarily Toronto. Is it a primary market, if you will? I'm not sure we've got the scale at this point. And candidly, if you want a primary market, it's likely Toronto because we're an hour away. Well, what's the population of Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, Guelph? Roughly about, if you look at the greater region, including yeah. some of the rural areas, you're about 750,000 people okay. with a target to try and get it to a million. I'm just using round numbers. Isn't Ottawa a comparable size? Wouldn't that be reasonable? It is. Ottawa's over a million, isn't it? I Sorry, I'm making numbers up. But anyway, they're close-ish, right? So to your point. But Ottawa, tell me what major city is near Ottawa within an hour. Right? You don't have it. So the thing about Kitchener is, will you ever see a, an NHL team in Kitchener? Probably not because we've got Toronto right there and we've got the key to the region though is the connectivity to Toronto, right? You fellas are here from Toronto. It took you an hour, an hour and a bit, whatever it took. Heck, you could take a train. They're trying to create a place where it's connected so that we don't have to be our own standalone entity. And, and it's also part of the ability to compete on a broader global scale, right? If we are seen as the Silicon Valley of the North or whatever, the Toronto Waterloo Tech Corridor, there's a whole bunch of different spins and names that have been used for it. But if you look at that whole Toronto, Greater Golden Horseshoe area and it as a population base, that makes us very competitive on a global scale. So I'm not answering your question because I'm not sure we're our own. It probably is no not, answer. It was no, an answerable it's very, question. It's yeah. very nebulous. So, but again, I think the distance creates a level of affordability and creates our own kind of entity and identity, but it also creates an opportunity to collaborate, if you will, right? With Toronto, especially with some of these investments that are going on in infrastructure, rail, all that kind of stuff. Well, then under the idea of being beside a major economic force being to your benefit, how much do you rely on access to the states in this area? Yeah, and you just look at the surge in manufacturing that's going on right now and driven largely in the U.S. I mean, we've got some good things happening with manufacturing, nowhere near the scale of the U.S., but we have a very important trade partner in the U.S., especially for industrial, real estate, the movement of goods, some of the geopolitical stuff going on in the world. It's very volatile. And so no doubt the U.S. is a huge impact on what happens here in Southern Ontario and in Waterloo region, especially as it relates to that manufacturing sector. I mean, we're almost out of time, but it's funny. We Now, just to be transparent, you're our fifth interview today at the Southwestern Ontario Real Estate Forum. And so we had a great opportunity to really just explore this market through all of our different conversations. And for our listeners, just to hold on tight because there'll be a bunch of them rolling out in the next couple of weeks. We've had two guests on that are local investors in real estate, kind of. They're both Toronto transplants, right? And I'm curious, just in your business, I know you've got a bunch of institutional that are coming in. Is there 
appetite for locals to sell to locals still? And is there a distinction between the family that's been here for 50 years and owns a ton of real estate versus the family that's been here for five years because some guy saw the opportunity five years ago versus the Toronto-based institution? And does it matter? Is it always just highest price? Or is there a little bit of a, no, that we're still, we want to keep it amongst ourselves? I think there's room for both, right? And I think what we're finding is those larger institutional, let's call it Toronto-based entities, they're looking for scale. They're looking for size and they have the capital, the ability to execute on larger projects. But the local folks, whether it's the people that live here, work here, invest here, they have a role to play as well. Again, I do believe it's really important we preserve diversity, even in the mix of who participates in the market. And I'd say we're doing a good job of that in preserving both. So I don't think anyone's necessarily getting pushed out. No doubt values have gone up as a result of comparison to Toronto and capital flows into this region, but there's still a very important place for the local base to play, whether you're a business or a tenant or or an investor. So having the Southwestern Ontario Real Estate Forum is ultimately a good thing to share and expose, you know, the rest of the country. There's a lot of Toronto people here. There's a lot of (laughs) Toronto people. There's a lot of local people. I think they gave the stat that it was something along the lines of like 30% were local. I mean, that to me is diversity and and diversity is a good thing, right? Diversity is a good thing. (laughs) Great. Thanks for coming on, Mitch. We're out of time. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for coming back. So sorry again for the the mess up the last (laughs) time. I I do feel bad. Thanks to First National for powering the podcast. Thanks to Informa for hosting us here at the Southwestern Ontario Real Estate Forum. Thanks again, Mitch. Appreciate it. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.